Revelation and chapter 2. <laughs> Revelation chapter 2 and at verse 18. And let's read that together. Revelation 2.18 <clears throat> And to the church and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and your faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have, <clears throat> I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her in onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of, of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots, uh, I'm sorry, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is our text this morning. It's, it's a long letter. Uh, it's the longest letter of the seven to the churches. And yet, the church in Thyatira was the smallest of the churches. Which, uh, there's a lesson there to us that uh, whatever the size of the church, uh, it, it's inconsequential to Jesus. Whether it's a church of 20 or 200 or 2,000, the church is important to Jesus. Wherever His people are gathered, uh, Jesus died for those souls. And He cares for what goes on in those churches, whether they're small or large. And so, this is quite a long letter and quite an involved letter, and we certainly won't do justice to the whole thing uh, this morning. But Jesus begins, as, uh, as, as often the case, by uh, tapping into something in the city to which he is writing. And uh, the uh, city of Thyatira, which is in uh, present-day Turkey, was a place, though it was smaller than some of the other cities, um, had many trade guilds in it. So there were leather works and pottery and iron works. And uh, they made bronze there. And uh, they... Uh, it, it, to that end, Jesus uses this as a stepping stone to communicate something of His approach. And we've, we've been seeing over the last number of weeks that Jesus will take something of that city and use it as a stepping stone to explain 
uh, uh, the disposition with which he is coming to them. And so he uses in his opening remarks this idea of flame of fire and burnished bronze. So if you were a metal worker, as there were many in Thyatira, you would have immediately um, uh, uh, saw that as something you could relate to and connect to. If you worked with fire every day, if you worked with iron and bronze and different metals, you would know. You would be in the know right away. And this is how Jesus comes to them. He says, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. In other words, we, as we were seeing in the first chapter, as John beholds Jesus with hair like wool and feet of bronze, he also has eyes of fire. And that speaks to us of the fact that he's able to see and know each person in the church. He knows what's going on. He knows our hearts. As we were reminded of throughout the book of Revelation with this word, I know, I know. Again, Jesus is giving that perfection of knowledge. It's not that Jesus knows them kind of generally, but He has eyes of fire able to see right into their hearts and minds. And that can be very unsettling for us. Uh, as I've said different times, if we knew what one another thought or felt sometimes, especially if we got angry and upset, we'd run a mile from one another. But when God sees into our hearts, when God sees into our minds, it doesn't distance Himself from us. He, he, is, he sees need within us. I think that's a wonderful thing on God's part. That God's pity and God's mercy is provoked when He sees sin and uncleanness in the hearts of people. Not, not simply negativity, uh, 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 but also that which is positive. When Jesus sees the love, when He sees the faith which He commends them for, that is also something that He sees and understands. When He sees them struggling, He also understands that. But it is very uncomfortable sometimes to think of someone who sees everything we think and say and what we have entertained in our hearts. And yet for God, that provokes His mercy. We need to glorify God for that and praise Jesus for that. When we hear Him coming into Jerusalem and say, say to the city of Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, how I would have gathered you. I mean, what would you do to a people who kill the prophets of God? You would say, oh, we'll have them arrested. You would pray down God's judgment upon them. But the pity of Jesus is stirred when He sees people created in His image behaving that way. When He sees you and I going astray. When He sees us getting off track or sinning. His pity is provoked. That's why He writes these letters. This is why He reveals Himself in such attractive ways to say, I know you. And I want the best for you. I don't want you to continue on in this way. 
Many people want Jesus simply to rubber stamp their lives and say, Jesus, I want you to see me, but I want you to accept me the way I am. And Jesus says, no, I have a program. I have a way in which you are to be. And that is why I came. To make you like me. That is an extraordinary thing. The calling that we have. He predestined us to be what? Conformed to the image of His Son. To be like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want nothing less than that if that's what God's promised. I don't want Him just to accept me the way I am. I hope you don't want Jesus to just accept you the way you are with all your sin and rebellion and all the rest of it. No! It would be the height of arrogance and foolishness to say that. No, you say, Jesus, if you have come to make me like you, then please come and search me. And when your eyes pierce into my soul, when those fiery eyes see into my soul, may it expose the things that need exposing. In your light, we see light. We see the way in which we are to go. The eyes like flame of fire and whose feet are burnished bronze. Here again is the idea of the, the iron works, the metal works uh, that the Thyatirans would have understood. But it brings with it this sense of judgment. That Jesus comes with eyes that search and see and know and have a perfect understanding. We know that His judgment and His justice is going to be Perfect. So when He comes with the feet of bronze to judge, it is because He has the eyes of fire to understand. And so we, we don't back off when we hear about the judgments of God. We don't cry, that's unfair. Because He sees with a perfect understanding. He's able to judge righteously. While we can hide things from one another, we can't hide things from God. And so, He comes to the church uh, in that way. He says, beginning, He commends them as He does similarly other churches, I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Jesus is encouraging them, isn't He? Right from the outset. He's not simply to come and, and say, point out what is negative or what is wrong. He wants to reinforce what is good. And He does so with Thyatira. In fact, they are a growing church in many ways. That their works latterly have exceeded what they were doing initially. And that's what we are to be like as Christians. Our love for the world. Our zeal for the Kingdom of God. Our responsibility to one another ought to be growing, right? Isn't that what it is to mature in Christian love? To say, hey, here's a church in Disable. I've been here for X number of years and as a longer I've been here, I see my responsibility to others in the church. To pray for them to find out what their needs are and to be ready to meet those needs. To 
ensure that everyone in the church is incorporated into the body and feels comfortable and feels loved and respected. That's what it is to mature in your responsibility. And this is what was happening with the church in Thyatira, that their works of late outshone their works earlier on. That's where we are to be going. That's what it is to mature in love. And we were looking at that a little bit on Tuesday uh, evening in the first epistle of John. Love is perfected. Our love for God, our love for one another is perfected as we go on in the Christian life. And as we believe what we heard. And so, uh, Jesus says here to them, I know your works, your love. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That when Jesus looks upon a people, He, he delights in what He sees in His people. Their love, their faith. When, when He sees people uh, in a church, in disabled, going through family problems or physical problems or financial problems or whatever challenges they face, and they're still there on Sunday morning, still praising God and giving Him thanks for His goodness and His mercy. Still sacrificing for the Kingdom of God, for world missions, and uh, still wanting to do all they can for the, the local community and see what they, how they can make Christ known to the world around them. This is what Jesus looks in on and commends. Your faith, your service, your patient endurance. It's, just, it's a glory to God just to endure something, isn't it? Just to get through it. Don't despise those times. Don't say, oh, well, my, my, my trouble is just random. It's for nothing. It makes no sense. Jesus commends the Thyatirans for their patient endurance. Whatever they had to endure. Of course, living in a pagan culture was one of those things. Like all the churches that He speaks of. So He commends them. But He says, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing My servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, what, what's going on here? The devil tries to get in at various ways. You remember last week we spoke of Balaam. And Balaam was taken to various hills that looked down on the children of Israel and he tried to curse them, but he couldn't. So, we saw that the Moabites then enticed the children of Israel subtly through sexual immorality. And we saw the resulting judgment that came down upon those who were involved in that. And the same is true when it comes to the church in Thyatira. The devil, though he couldn't get them in terms of their faith or their love, their works of service, would try a, a different approach. Something perhaps more subtle. And it was this woman, now he could be using the word Jezebel to simply describe her. Her name might have been something else. Uh, but he is calling her a Jezebel. And that's come down to us, hasn't it, over the years. A woman of 
uh, of who's sexually promiscuous or uh, advocates sexual immorality you might call that woman a Jezebel. Someone who breaks up a home or something like that. And so that name has come down. And certainly in the first century when Jesus used it here, He was using it to describe this person within the church. Now what was this woman doing? Well, in Thyatira there were these guilds. There were guilds of stonework, pottery, ironworks as I said, leatherworks, all sorts of different industries that were going on in Thyatira. And when you belong to this guild, as, as it was in Pergamum, we saw last week, you not only had to work for the company, but you had to, each guild had its own kind of uh, 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 pagan religion. They had their own kind of uh, religious service that went along with it. And oftentimes, that involved uh, either sacrifice to, for, to, uh, to idols or engaging in some sort of sexual immorality. So what was this woman doing? This prophetess. And by calling her a prophetess, you, we know that she wasn't silent. She was going around the church influencing people. You can imagine in Disable, if there was somebody who was after the service saying, well, you know what, you can't Accept everything that the Bible says. You have to, you know, you have to, uh, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. And, and you know, you got to live in the world, don't you? You got to get along with people in the world. And so, really, you got to, you got to, uh, you know, do what your workplace would require you to do. God's not, uh, you know, so hard on us that He's going to judge us for that. You got to put food on the table after. After all, you've got to put your kids through college. You've got, to, you, you've got to live. And so if you have to go along with a few things at work, well, just bite your lip and get on with it. Just, just do it. Fly beneath the radar. God knows your heart. And so what this woman was doing was encouraging Things that were explicitly against God's law. Encouraging people to go back to the guilds, back to their ironworks, and say, yes, you can participate in it. It's not that you believe in it, but it's you, you, your boss is imposing it upon you. Therefore, don't think too much about it. Just like with the, uh, those in Pergamum, a little pinch of, of incense to Caesar once a year to say, Caesar is Lord and just forget about it after that, right? No biggie. This is what this prophetess who is styled by Jesus as Jezebel was saying. And she was in the church. And she was leading people astray. And as a result, Jesus pronounces severe punishment upon her and those who would follow after her. Now we may say that is very severe, the things that Jesus is saying here. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you as your works deserve. Notice what He says there in verse 21. I gave her time to repent. 
we notice there the mercy of God. Jesus doesn't come all at once, swooping in with judgment. The way of God is to bear long with people. You read the Old Testament. He waited generations and centuries with Israel before He sent in a nation to judge them. The Babylonians or whoever it was. Generations would go by, decades sometimes. And He would, he would, he would call them. He would send prophets to them. He would say, repent, repent. Judgment is coming. You don't realize how holy God is. We often look at the Old Testament as a, a, a book of judgment where God is very harsh and un, unyielding. <laughs> but we can't forget that the Old Testament was written over centuries where God waited and He desired to show mercy and forgiveness to His people. And He would send this prophet and they would kill him. This prophet and they would stone him. This prophet and they would cut him in half. And He does so here, and He does so with us. I gave her time to repent. And when we see that in the large scheme of things, friends, we need to personalize that and say, how often has God given me time to repent of my sins? Have I considered the goodness of God? Has the goodness of God led me to repentance? All these years that I have spent in church, and I'm still here? But will I be here next week? Will I be here tomorrow? Have I despised the opportunities that God has given me to repent? He has given this woman who is styled a Jezebel, who was going around the church saying you can commit sexual immorality or sacrifice food to idols in the gills and in society. You can go along with that. She was going around propagating that. And Jesus said, even her, I gave her time to repent. The mercy of God is great, isn't it? But it's not limitless in the sense of time. God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world. He has appointed a day. He has appointed a time for you. He has appointed a time in your life when He will say, this far and no further. He has given us times to repent. And we must cherish those more than anything in our lives to get down on our knees and say, Lord, it's a miracle that You have not judged me so far. It's a miracle. It's a, it's a, it's a testimony to Your grace that I'm still alive, Lord. And that I'm still hearing invitations to come and believe. And so, Lord, this morning I come this morning I want to repent of my sins by Your grace and by Your help. That's what He is expecting. That's what He was expecting of this woman Jezebel. To see the error of her ways and those who followed her. Paul says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not take delight in the death of the wicked, but that they turn and be saved. That's our God. But we must understand that God is holy as well. And what Jesus is seeing in His bride, the church, is a cancer. And if that cancer is not dealt with, it will destroy her. 
And so in the Old Testament even, that's why God did what He did under, with, at the time of Balaam when people were so brazenly promoting sexual immorality in the nation, the early nation of Israel when it was just in its blossoming stage. God moved in judgment not to destroy the nation, but to save the nation. And that's what He's trying to do here in Thyatira, to save her. That's what He's trying to do with you. To save you. And so He comes with these words that are bold and, and, and unsettling. Because sin is serious. Sin is serious. Eternity is forever. And so He, he comes and speaks about this that is now unfolding and transpiring in the church. You remember uh, when uh, Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, the early days of the church, they sold a piece of land and they said to the, to the apostles, we're giving all the money we, brought, we received from selling our land to the church. But really, they kept a percentage back for themselves. They were lying. They were lying to the church. Rather than this then be the way that the church was going to operate for generations to come, God moved in judgment. And Ananias and Sapphira died because, as Peter said, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God, which was incredibly serious. And the church, though it was growing and, 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 and exploding all over the place with new people by the thousands, God stopped them in their tracks and He said, you must remember that I am holy. And they died. And it said, fear came upon all the churches. Jesus is saying that here. He's saying that you might that they might know that all might know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. And so there was this philosophy that was being spread. It's this philosophy as we've been seeing over the last few weeks that is alive in churches all over. That really, at the end of the day, it's what you do out there that you have to do and say to get along and to survive in your job and whatever it is. Say what they want you to say. If they say, jump this high, jump that high. If they say, this law if, uh, needs to be broken, then break it. It's how we frame the worldview that you have to look through. And Christians are then taught to put God's Word second, if not at the bottom of the heap in terms of informing them what is real. And so that same idea is alive and well in the world today where we're called to violate our own conscience and our own lives to satisfy Someone other than God. And this is something that Jesus comes to us today and warns us about. And says that cannot, um, uh, that cannot uh, 
prosper in my church and have the church survive. So he, can, he, he, he says to them, he speaks there of the judgment that he will bring down upon her. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will give to each as the works deserve. So we've seen in the history of the Old Testament and the history of the early church, how God did that. How Jesus did that. And how He promises to do the same for the church in Thyatira. And that how He emphasizes the need for holiness within the church today. We can have a strong confession. We can pride ourselves in preaching the Gospel. But what are we like at home? What are we like on our computers and on our cell phones? If God can't get us in the church, if He cannot get us uh, in our confessions or in our statement of faith, maybe He can get us in other ways. Netflix or whatever other streaming service might be out there to weaken God's people. Weaken their resolve in terms of these issues that, the, that Jezebel was seeking to influence the church in Thyatira on. And so it's not just what we say we believe in church. It's not just the confession that we proclaim. Just as it was with the Israelites of old. If the devil can't get them one way, he will try a subtler form another way. And so we have to guard our hearts as a church, both publicly here, but more especially at home. And when no one's around. And so Jesus goes on, He says, he, he says but to the rest of you in Thyatira, not everyone was kind of falling in with that philosophy. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, and this is a, a parody of what Paul called the deep things of God. But here, they are satirically called not the deep things of God, but the deep things of Satan. Just as in the last church, there was not the synagogue of God, but the synagogue of Satan. You see, it's just turning it on its head and calling it something different. Showing it for what it really is. You are not holding to that. And Jesus rejoices in that. Who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Steve Brown, who is a preacher in the United States, he said in the late 70's when you heard of all of these televangelist scandals, Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart and all these people who were falling one after another. Steve Brown said there was an instinct within his church to really lay on the law. To preach more law. That's what people needed. And he said it almost killed us. And you might say, surely that's what you should do, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you preach, you shall not commit adultery? Well, yes. But if that is what Steve Brown was saying, was that, that was so heavy that the real remedy of 
overcoming sin, which is the good news of the Gospel, was getting put down here. If we are preaching law all the time, or adding rules to compensate for something that might be going on in the church, right? If there's a problem in the church, let's add some rules. That's often, that's, that's the natural way. Add more rules. That'll do it. Will it? No. I do not lay on you any new thing. In other words, go back to the Gospel. That's where you're going to receive your victory. It's the good news of the Gospel. Of what Jesus has done. That we en enables us to perfect holiness in the fear of God. It's only by coming to Christ. It's only by the preaching of the cross that the power of sin is broken in the human heart. It's not by adding more rules. It's not by going down the path of legalism to protect us against sin. No. That will never ever happen. That will never ever do. It will kill the church and you will kill one another. He says, go back to the first things. I'm not, I'm not going to lay any extra rules or regulations. I want you just to go back to the Gospel and find yourself there. A new legalism will not do. Continue in the faith, hope, and love which I commended you for at the beginning. Your perseverance. Your acts of love which were springing from what? The law? No. My love for you as expressed in the Gospel. And it is only there that you'll be able to say, I love your law, Lord. I want to keep your law. But you don't put the cart before the horse. You don't start saying, well, let's start with law first and see how, that, how far that gets us. You start with the good news of the Gospel. And like Zacchaeus, and like the woman who poured the ointment over Jesus' head, you just find the law coming in behind you anyway. I do not put any new thing upon you, Jesus says. Go back to where you first came in. Go back to the door where you started. And that is the good news of the Gospel. Continue in that. And there, you will find faith, hope, love. You will find generosity. You will find things you do, doing things that you never thought you could do. That's why the Apostle Paul is just celebrates the cross. May I glory in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where the victory is. Only hold fast what you have until I come. If we are going to grow in holiness and obedience and so on, as a church, these are the places that we start. Where we've come in. The, the first principles of the Gospel. The one who conquers and keeps my words, my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. The one who conquers is simply the one who continues on in a life of faith and service. That's what it is to conquer. It's not to go out with a sword at the corner of Queen and Grafton or uh, to to do all these it's to go with to continue on in faith and love 
in the things that Paul has spoken about in the New Testament. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Servants, obey your masters. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Don't worry. Don't fret over money and clothing. Just everyday things. Continue on in those things. That's how we conquer. I will give authority over the nations. One person has said that they'd exercise authority over the nations as they proclaim the Gospel of grace for sinners. To the people that come under the gracious rule of Jesus. So when we proclaim the Gospel, when the Gospel is preached, the, the first principles that He's calling them back to, men and women, boys and girls from all over the world are brought under the kingship of Jesus Christ. They're brought under His rule. And He will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I Myself have received authority from My Father. And I will give them the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This verse, these verses, really sum up the message of the book of Revelation as a whole. This is what it means to persevere, to move forward. They will be given authority over the nations. Now there's something very uh, 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 amazing in that. And for the key to that, we need to go back into the book of Daniel where uh, in that famous chapter in Daniel 7, uh, uh, that, that idea is opened up for us. Daniel 7 at verse 18. He's talking about the vision of the end times. And he says in verse 18, "...but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever." And Jesus is making that connection that we will reign with Jesus. He has seated us, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. And I will give Him the morning star. What does that mean? The morning star. Jesus is the morning star. You remember the, the prophecy of Balaam, the one that we often speak at Christmas time? The star. I see His star. And... Uh, and it was a prophecy concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation also speaks of Jesus as being that star. It means uh, uh, speaks of our unity with Him. In chapter 22 and uh, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent My angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. I am the morning star. So when Jesus says that uh, uh, here, that uh, uh, I will give Him the morning star, that means we, as we are joined to Jesus, share in His glory. We are conformed to His image 
We share in the kingdom that He wins. We are seated with Him. And we are made to be like Him. To share in His splendor. So we've been seeing throughout all these letters the different rewards. The reward of eternal life. The access to the tree of life. And again here, Jesus is saying, I will give you Myself. The morning star in all its glory will be yours. You will possess it. You will be conformed into the image of Jesus. So the rewards for the church as they move through these letters are incredible. And for ourselves, as we think about what God is calling us to do, as we are faithful to His Word in this day and age in which we live, Jesus is pleased to set before us these blessings that no man can take from us. Man can do his worst in this world as we submit ourselves, as we suffer the loss of maybe our jobs or our families or our friends or whatever it may be for the sake of being faithful. And yet, in all of these things, Jesus says, I will give, I will reward, I will bless. That what you gain will far outweigh anything you lose. Because I am the Son of God. I have eyes of fire. I have feet of bronze. And I will repay to each man according to his works. So the church in Thyatira, the church that was commended for many things, as many churches can be, but the church with whom there was a very fundamental flaw that if it was not addressed, it could prove, like the other churches, their downfall. And so for ourselves, while we may be very encouraged about a lot of the things that we have and what Jesus has done in us and through us, we still must be vigilant, mustn't we? About not only what we do here in church. I mean, it's easy to live by coming and sitting in church for one hour a week. But what about our homes? What about the things that we entertain ourselves with? Our associations. What about the, thing, the areas in our lives where we yield in order to get along at the workplace or at school or wherever we may be. We need to be able to come to this passage and say, here I can fortify my soul. Here I can see the bigger picture to know that whatever the world is promising me is now infinitesimally small compared to the rewards that my Lord and Savior who loved me and gave Himself for me died to secure Let's pray.